the Blue Bloods are finally back, and we are here to continue to fill your great void from sports. We start the episode off by discussing what our expectations are for projected Crimson Tide quarterback Mac Jones. And then we debate which new head coach in college football will have the most success at their new program. We then give you guys our biggest potential steals in the upcoming NFL draft. And we wrap up this packed episode with a new segment called March Sadness, where we talk about the pay for play scandal that rocked college basketball and how it could affect college football and why we haven't really seen a scandal like this in college football. We have a packed episode, so let's kick it off. So we're going to start off with Mac Jones and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So the Tua Tagovailoa reign is now over in Tuscaloosa, and Mac Jones is projected to fill the void left by probably the arguably the best quarterback in Crimson Tide history. Mac Jones will still have projected competition from Bryce Young, incoming five-star, and Tua's little brother, Tolua. Uh, but with spring practices being canceled and their projections calling for a shortened summer camp and fall camp, we're confident that Jones will most likely be the starter for the Crimson Tide moving forward into the season. Jones stepped into the starting role when Tagovailoa caught the injury bug and still went 3-1 as a starter. And he played awfully well in his time um, for the Crimson Tide last season. So questions do surround what is Jones' potential and what will his development you know, arc look like and how will that affect the tide this season? So Brandon, what do you expect from Mac Jones this season and where do you see his floor or ceiling being this upcoming season and just throughout his career in Tuscaloosa? Uh, It's so hard to say um, right now, because what have we seen out of, out of Mac Jones so far? You know, we saw his partial season this year when Tua went down with his injury. Um, and we saw him a little bit in 2018, not too much. He was a true freshman then, um, uh, far less. I mean, we saw 13 passing attempts. He basically went in at the end of games when, you know, Alabama was winning. Uh, but this past season, what do we see out of him? You know, we saw, uh, who, who did they even play when he was, when he was there, uh, when he had to start games like Arkansas. And yeah. it, was, it was what yeah, he, he, it was I, like, well, he, he played part of the Mississippi state game. He played against, I think, uh, Louisiana Monroe this year. Uh, he Tennessee. played, yeah. Well, he played. Uh, he played uh, actually, part yeah, part of Tennessee. But his starts were Arkansas, Louisiana Monroe, Auburn, and Michigan. So, so I mean, two of those starts are pretty big, right? And, and I mean, what we did see out of him this year was pretty impressive. I mean, he was he was close to a seventy percent completion rate. Uh, he was at sixty eight, almost sixty nine percent. That's pretty nice, but. Uh, 1,500 yards passing in these games that he played. I mean, that's that's very impressive. Uh, for the you know short amount of time that he actually played, uh, he ended up the he ended off the season with uh 14 completions, three interceptions. You know, I mean, we can go back all the way to high school. We can look at his uh his recruiting. I mean, he came out of high school as a three star recruit. How he ended up on scholarship at Alabama, great question. 
But, I mean, he's proved to everybody that he is – I mean, he is an SEC-caliber quarterback, and I think he's going to do fairly well next year. Um, you know, obviously there's no way of really knowing how he's going to perform. I mean, like I said, we saw his uh, – we saw a few starts out of him this past season when two went down with injury. But besides that, I mean, we haven't seen this guy lead this Alabama football team because even when he was going out of the field as a starting quarterback this past season – was he the leader on the field? I don't – I mean, I wouldn't say he was. Uh, but but really, what do I think he can do with this Alabama team? Uh, I think this – it's tough. Uh, I'd say the ceiling is pretty high. I mean, it's Alabama. He's still playing for Nick Saban, and this defense next year is going to be phenomenal. So I think this Alabama team has a chance to make it back to the playoff. Uh, where do I say their floor is? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty high, it's a pretty high floor. Uh, I'd say, I'd say the absolute floor for this Alabama team this year would be like eight and four. I don't, I I can't see them losing more than four games this next year. And that's probably a stretch. I would hope. Uh, I mean, they could have me at quarterback out of next year and they'd probably go eight and four. That's what I mean. It's, it would be (laughs) tough. No, I mean, I'd completely agree with you on that. I mean, in my opinion, though, uh, Jones probably has bigger shoes to fill than just about anyone in the country. Maybe, you know, outside of Miles Brennan at LSU. Uh, but Tua is probably one of the, I would say, one of the most beloved players in Alabama history. And he's set just countless records that I, I don't think even Bama fans saw being broken or even set. But my biggest question for Jones moving forward is how will he deal with the critics if things go, if things go south? Um, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but, uh, Bryce Young is really, really good. And I think he's probably the most hyped quarterback recruit that Alabama's ever had. I mean, you think back, I mean, Alabama won a lot of national championships with AJ McCarron, Greg McElroy, uh, Coker and, you know, all these players. I mean, Tua was really the first, it was probably one of the bigger recruits that they got. And Bryce Young was a top, what, was the number two player in the 247 composite? I mean, and I'm yeah, really worried. I mean, he's the third highest recruit they've ever had, and he's the highest quarterback they've ever had by a lot. I mean, besides yeah, uh, close. besides Brody Croyle, Brody Croyle was, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's saw how that play. worked out. Yeah, so, I mean, he is the highest by far. Yeah, and you know the, what I'm worried about is, I mean, Brandon, would you say uh, Alabama fans are the most understanding when a player doesn't play well and it costs them a game oh or two? God, no, not, yeah, yeah, they're very understanding about everything in life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, so what happens? You know, we do have no spring practices. We probably won't have much, many summer practices or workout programs. And who knows how much fall practice these players are going to get. And what happens if Bama starts slow and Mac Jones isn't performing at the level that these fans have set for him? I mean, I don't think it's going to be long before fans start to chant for Bryce Young to get a shot at quarterback. I mean, Dude, there's all- already, the, I mean, the fact is, there's already people begging for, for, uh, Bryce yeah, Young to see true. playing time. That's true. So I mean, they've already they've already counted Mac Jones out before seeing what he has. And I mean, look at how quick they turned on Jalen Hurts. If you think oh, you have goodness. goodwill built up, and Jalen Hurts can get benched, uh, I'm not feeling very very confident about you know for the Bama fans to give you a grace period. I don't think that's happening. I mean, 
Alabama hasn't lost a lot recently. They're not used to it. Uh, and, but I think Jones has two to three huge advantages over other quarterbacks, and it's experience and talent around him to work with. I mean, it's not hard to really succeed in this system when you can hand the ball off to Najee Harris and you're throwing to Jalen Waddell and Javante Smith. And then your offensive line is led by Alex Leatherwood, which might be the best offensive tackle in the country. I mean, right. that, that's a huge, huge advantage. And, you know, for for me, Alabama has one of the most stacked offenses in the country. I would rank it right behind maybe Clemson, Ohio State. Uh, and for experience, yeah, that sounds like a stretch there for, you know, someone who hasn't really started a full season, but... I mean, he got a taste of some big environments, big games. I mean, going on the road to to Auburn to play in the Iron Bowl with a college football playoff appearance on the line and an Auburn team with nothing to lose. Then a Citrus Bowl game where Jim Harbaugh, in my opinion, is playing for some respect. And really and truly outside of those two pick sixes that he threw in the Iron Bowl, he was those two pick sixes away from leading Alabama to probably a playoff berth. Cause I think if Alabama beats Auburn, they get in over Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that was a, I don't think that was even an argument. I mean, people were counting that as fat before that game. That's um, true. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be definitely an interesting road uh, that Mac Jones is heading down for this next season. Yeah, you know, there's one thing I think people overlook, though, when it comes to Alabama and quarterbacks. I think they totally overlook the system that Nick Saban, even though he's the defensive coach, has really implemented to make quarterbacks successful. And the the key is give it to the talent and stay out of the way. Nick Saban knows this team is a well-oiled machine. If, if you're a quarterback at Bama, your keys are no interceptions, escape the pocket when needed, and don't take a sack, and be somewhat accurate. Those three things, you're probably going to win. Just based on that defense and the talent that if you get the ball in the hands of Jalen Waddell, odds are he might take it for a touchdown every single time you give it to him. We saw that at Auburn. He had four touchdowns. And... Right. That's been the formula for years since Nick Saban. I mean, even that was even the formula at LSU for Nick Saban. I mean, Jamarcus Russell was good, but like it was just Jamarcus, please let's not throw two interceptions this game. And and I think that's what made Tua so scary in this offense is because he had real quarterback talent and it really and truly it was almost telling the talent around Tua not to screw it up for him. And I think that's why you know Bryce Young has so much hype behind him because he has that same talent. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that Saban's won with, A.J. McCarron, Blake Sims, Jake Coker, Greg McElroy. I mean, to me, not elite players, not elite quarterbacks. And But the thing was, they all they had to do was not make mistakes. I mean, I th- like you said, Brandon, you could be the quarterback, they probably still go 8-4. and Because, I mean, you look back through history, it's not hard to hand the ball to Derrick Henry and let him destroy defenses. It's not hard to throw it up and let Amari Cooper or Jerry Judy take off and you know, embarrass cornerbacks and defenses. The formula works and it works well. And I think Jones has an outstanding year and it's only because why would he not? Right. I mean, and like I said, you know, I'll just, I'll reiterate this point as much as I like to make fun of Alabama and make fun of their fans. You, you are a quarterback at the university of Alabama. Like Zach said, 
Nick Saban can win with Greg McElroy. He can win with AJ McCarron. He can win with Jake Coker. He can win with Mac Jones. And so this next season is going to be, uh, I, I like to say interesting. It's probably going to be a very good season in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, so if you're a defensive coordinator, just put yourself in any defensive coordinator's shoes. Would you rather watch Najee Harris, you know, abuse your front seven and and hurdle cornerbacks at full stride? Or would you rather hope Mac Jones makes another mistake and throws a pick six? I'm going with Mac Jones has to beat us rather than Najee Harris, you know, take someone's head off running the ball down the field. Right. I mean, 10 times out of 10. every single time but we're going to go ahead and move on here and we're going to talk a little bit of projections going into next season but it's for you know new coaches so the coaching carousel has been settled most coaches know where they'll be coaching for the 2020 season and we saw multiple big names move to new programs i mean this includes mike leach and lane kiffin both heading to mississippi and making the egg bowl one of the most anticipated matchups of the year you also have Mike Norval headed to Florida State for Memphis. And a big one is Dave Aranda leaving LSU to take his talents to Baylor. But this season, I think, in my opinion, had one of the most memorable coaching carousels because of all these big names that moved. And the expectations are mixed. This is also due to the COVID-19 outbreak that has made this next season super difficult for new coaches at programs. And but looking ahead, I think there are a lot of high expectations. I don't think Baylor expects Aranda to come in and lose a lot. I think Mississippi State really likes what they got in Mike Leach. So, Brandon, which coach at at a new program do you think will be the best fit and have the most success at their new school? Um, well, I, so I was going to break it down um, to a few, but do you want to know my num- who I think is the best fit at that school? <laughs> I'd go with I'd go with Mr. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss because when you think like Ole it. Miss, go ahead go ahead and describe the type of person you that that would that would be attending the University of Mississippi, someone who would be a fan of that program. I mean, you're looking at Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's look in the mirror. I mean, that's exactly who it is. And why do I think that he can do well at Ole Miss? Well, because he's already proven that he can be a successful coach. Uh, before he went to coach under Nick Saban at Alabama, where he had fairly great fairly good success it was just the university of alabama um that's why he moved on to florida atlantic you know after after what happened there um but i mean we look at we look and see what he did what he's done since the beginning of his career i mean in 2009 he started out his coaching career at tennessee and how did he do zach he went seven and six uh made a bowl game with i mean uh, it's not a it's not a great showing by him but it was his first year as a head coach ever it was also Uh, an average roster Average roster. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, he moves on to USC after that. And what does he do? He goes eight and five in his first season, 10 and two in his second season. That's with a 2011 USC team. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the 2010s USC program. Uh, after that, he goes seven and six. Then the next year in 2013, that's when he's fired. He starts out three and two. Uh, after that, he goes to, he goes to Alabama, coaches there. Uh, we know, I mean, we know the success of Alabama between 2014 and 2016. I don't even think I have to highlight that. Then he moves on to Florida Atlantic. What does he do with his Florida Atlantic team? He goes 11 and three twice out of three years. He wins the Booker Ton Bowl both times, and now he's at the University of Mississippi. He's at Ole Miss. He's back in SEC country. We've already talked about about head coaches that can recruit on this show. We've talked about the Kirby Smarts of the world. 
We I don't even know how we didn't bring up Lane Kiffin there. If Lane Kiffin shows up to your house, recruits you, you think you're not going to the school that he's recruiting you to go to? Seriously? I mean, he's going to show you a good time. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> I, I think a player will be hard-pressed to not, to not be swayed by Lane Kiffin showing up to their home and taking them maybe on the best night they've ever had in their 18 years on this earth. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that big things are in store for Lane Kiffin here uh, at Ole Miss. I think that he's finally uh, at a program where he can grow along with the program. This Ole, Miss, this Ole Miss program isn't in a great spot right now, but I think that he has an opportunity to grow with this program. Yeah, I, I don't mind that pick. I, I didn't go with Kiffin or Leach, mainly because I'm skeptical of what they both can do as you know mainstays as SEC coaches. And Kiffin got the advantage of being in the SEC East last time. Uh, the SEC West is stacked. I mean, outside of Arkansas, every single team is a real contender. I mean, Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher is go- is going to be one heck of a combination. They're going to be tough to beat every single game. Auburn, Gus Malzahn, you've seen the sex they've had over the years. LSU just came off a national championship with Coach O. Alabama's Alabama. I, I got you there. I, I totally agree. Um, but, I mean, are are you really – and then you got to look across the state. Lane Kiffin's looking at Mike Leach, and Mike Leach is looking at Lane Kiffin, and that's going to be a shootout every single year. So I'm going to go with an unconventional one, and mine's going to be Mike Norval at Florida State. Uh, and for me, this was an obvious pick, but my number two was going to be Dave Aranda at Baylor. Um, but at the same time, Baylor's kind of a it's, – it's a toss-up to me. I think – you have to have a special relationship with that community, a special relationship with that area to really succeed. And I'm questioning whether Dave Aranda has that or not, but I think Dave Aranda has the talent to do big things. But when you look at Norval, I mean, he comes from Memphis after winning three straight division titles in an AAC championship and even got Memphis to a new year six bowl this season. He specializes in offensive schemes. He's an offensive guru an elite recruiter, and he can develop talent. And I want to focus on that. So developing talent has been a thing that has Florida, that is where Florida state has struggled recently. Uh, Talent development has been the biggest problem since the end of fish and Jimbo Fisher's reign in Tallahassee. I mean, they always recruit four or five star talent and even the best three stars come there. They're in one of the most talent rich States in the country. And, you know, Willie Taggart, you, you guys know our feelings on Willie Taggart and Jimbo Fisher lost control of the program there toward the end. And Norval solves all these issues that Florida state has had in the past. He built an outstanding culture at Memphis. Those kids played hard every single down, every single game, regardless of what weekend it was. And these weren't five stars stepping into this program. This was two and three stars kids that the big programs didn't want. Norval took them in and made them successful I mean, he develops he develops potential NFL talent. Antonio Gibson is going to be drafted this year. Next year, Kenneth Gainwell is probably going to be drafted. Um, I mean, there's been multiple Memphis players that have been successful at the next level, and he's coached at places that have also produced NFL talent. Um, another big thing, Norvell has the youth to relate to recruits, and it and it also prevents negative recruiting. We see negative recruiting against people like Nick Saban. It happened. 
it happened it happened to Joe Paterno and Bobby Bowden. I mean, once you start getting up there in age, other programs are like, hey, this this guy's gonna retire soon. So you need to come play for me because I'll be here the whole time you're here. And Norval doesn't have that problem. I mean, he has bright eyes, big goals on the horizon for Florida State, and kids are going to want to play in his off- offensive system. They see, they saw that SMU-Memphis game where they were just throwing back points. They saw the Penn State-Memphis game, which was one of the best bowl games of the season. And, I mean, Florida State's already a top destination for recruits, and now you have a good, young, offensive-minded coach that seems to have success wherever he goes. And I think this Norval hire is one of the more underrated hires and is overlooked due to Sweeney's dominance in the ACC. And people think that that's going to get in the way. Yeah. And, and I like that pick. I really do. Um, I think that if anyone could come to this Florida state program and turn it around or any available coach could come to this, uh, come to the Florida state program and turn it around. Uh, Norval is a great choice for that. Um, I, I think he's a good fit there, like you said. Uh, I'm not going to go on too much further about that. Uh, but there were a couple honorable mentions here, and I, you know, I'd like to take the time to at least mention them. Uh, I don't, I don't know where you were planning on going with this, Zach, but uh, I, I mean, you already mentioned Mike Leach. Uh, I think Mike Leach will be a good fit at Mississippi State. It's going to be tough to see. I, you know, I agree with what you said about Lane Kiffin. They are playing in SEC West, and where has Mike Leach been before? Well, he's been in the Big Twelve, and he's been in the Pac-12. I think there's a little bit of a difference between those two conferences and the SEC West. Um, Dave Aranda, you know, as much as I would love to say he's going to do a great job at Baylor, and I do think he will, I think there's a couple question marks there. Uh, He's never been a head coach before. This is his first time in his life being a head coach in college anyway. Um, As a matter of fact, I think the only only other head coaching job he's ever had was for a – for a high school a junior varsity team so uh to see him jump make this jump from uh you know i, I of course he was in a he was an associate head coach at lsu um but to see him make this jump from coordinator to head coach is going to be an interesting one i, I think that he has it in him but i you know i don't i don't know that for a fact yet uh another coach i like to keep an eye on and i don't have big expectations for him but it's always fun to bring his name up is uh, Greg Schiano, the Schiano man, um, returning to Rutgers. Schiano man, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, play play me a song of the Schiano man. Um, but but here he is. He, uh, you know, we know what he did with Rutgers uh, in 2006. He went 11 and two, of course. I mean, that's the year that whenever anyone likes to trash, likes to bash him, uh, people will be like, oh yeah, but do you remember that 2006 Rutgers team? It doesn't matter. Do you remember every other Rutgers team? Uh, he went two and nine. He went one and eleven. He went four and seven, four and eight. He went nine and four in his last year. I guess that's decent. But that was his second best season ever. So, um, am I am I am I too hyped on him? No, but I I feel like there was going to be at least one person who's like, oh, why didn't you bring up Greg Schiano? So here's the Greg Schiano segment, I guess. I mean, I I don't like Greg. I mean, I think it was the best hire for Rutgers, and he can only go up. I mean, Rutgers literally is a borderline D one school when it comes to football at this point. So I don't, I don't, I don't right. mind them hiring it, but I mean, I'm sticking with Norval. I mean, everyone else, it's kind of boom or bust for me. I mean, to be honest, Mike Leach's system is going to work in the sec. We don't know. I mean, it, those defenses he put up at Washington state, is it going to work in the sec? Uh, no. Lane, Lane Kiffin, 
it depends on who hires us as defensive coordinator. One underrated one. If I if we had to go with an underrated one, I'm going with Sam Pittman at Arkansas. And okay, yeah, it's a. I again, I said everyone's boom and bust. This is the ultimate boomer bust. He's one heck of a recruiter. He worked in Kirby Smart's you know system under Kirby Smart, and he did big things with that offense and offensive line. I mean. I mean, if thinking back, Brand, I mean, how many years in a row has Georgia had a top offensive lineman prospect enter the NFL draft? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the only thing I'm worried about, like you, I think it was the same concern you have with the Randos, who's never been a head coach. And to take on Arkansas, which is probably out of these programs and outside of Rutgers, out of the big name programs, I'm not talking about like Old Dominion. I mean, out of like the big name programs that have new coaches, I think Arkansas is probably the biggest rebuild. Um, Arkansas hasn't been yeah. good in a long, long time. And I think Sam Pittman's got his hands full, but we saw Sam Pittman's, you know, recruiting ability when he stepped into Arkansas late and still made a strong push late in this past uh, recruiting cycle and landed a lot of big recruits. A lot of people weren't expecting. So I think if I had to pick an under one, Sam Pittman is the one that I would point out that like, Hey, don't be surprised if Arkansas starts, you know, upsetting some teams, which, as two guys that host a podcast that both are biggest fans of SEC West programs, that's probably not what either of us hope or want to hear. No, absolutely not. Can you imagine um, if, uh, if LSU loses to Arkansas this year? Jeez, dude, I don't, I don't know what I'll do if the Golden Boot goes to Fayetteville. It'll just be, <laughs> it'll be a bad year. When's the last time Arkansas beat LSU? No, dude, they do it all the time. So I, I can't oh, remember that's exactly. That's tough. Dude, they do. It's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, I mean, we can go back to uh, I think it was what was it? It was oh seven, the last time LSU won a nat- or before this season, but last time they won a national championship, and Arkansas beat them. You know, their last game of well, the season. And well, they to, still to be fair, to be fair, that's when Arkansas was really, really good. I mean, they had Darren McFadden, and they had uh, Felix Jones, Gus Malzahn was the offensive coordinator. I mean, that that team was stacked. Right. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's besides this season, LSU's never had, uh, you know, they, they don't have the, those undefeated seasons where they, they go to the national championship, they're undefeated. They don't have those. They always lose a game. Um, uh, and, and Arkansas is usually the one that will sneak up on them somehow. So that's – it's just – that's always a big question mark. Was I scared of was I scared of LSU playing Arkansas this season? Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but – yeah, it, it, it happens. Um, I'll go ahead and cap off this segment, uh, as long as you don't have anything else to say, with another underrated hire, in my opinion. Uh, one that I don't think – yeah, I haven't heard anyone really talk about. Uh, and that's that's who Washington State has chosen to replace Mike Leach with, uh, Nick Rolovich. You know, he was a head coach in Hawaii before this. And everyone knows how high I am on Hawaii, <laughs> obviously. He was there. He was a, he was a quarterback for them. Uh, I believe in the early 2000s. Anyway, um, he's another offensive-minded guy, and if you had to choose someone similar to Mike Leach, someone with a similar style offense to Mike Leach, and even a similar personality, really, uh, go watch go watch the tapes on uh, Nick Rolovich, and you might have you might have Mike Leach Jr. Uh, right there. Uh, I think he I think he has the potential to uh, do decent things in in this Pac-12 North uh, division. Yeah, I, I I like it. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I really don't have an opinion on that one. Uh, it could work. I think Washington State is just gonna be Washington State. They're gonna be that middle of the pack 
Pac-12 team, and I think that's about their height, unless something, you know, they get lucky with, you know, getting someone like Joe Burrow that comes out of nowhere or something like that. I think they're just going to be Washington State. So we're going to go ahead, move on to another segment here, and we're going to talk more NFL draft stuff. Uh, NFL draft approaching extremely quickly, scheduled to begin on the 23rd of this month. And I think all sports fans are excited since we literally have had zero sports to follow in multiple weeks now. Uh, there's always see, There always seems to be players that scouts, GMs, fans overlook going into the draft. These players shock the world and become stars in the NFL. I mean, some of these players include Russell Wilson in the third round, Shannon Sharp in the seventh, Brady in the sixth, Richard Sherman in the fifth round. So it's inevitable that there are going to be some late-round players in this draft that will be much more valuable than their selection number. Brandon, who are your top two players that you project as the biggest or you know just steals in general in this year's draft? Uh, I'll go ahead and start this one out. Everyone knows me. Everyone knows I'm an offense guy. Uh, defense, meh, whatever. But I am actually going to uh, start out my list with a defensive player this time. I've got a defensive end from Utah um, in Bradley and Nate as a big steal in this year's draft. Uh, most mock drafts I've seen have him going in the third, fourth round. Um, and I really think that is, I mean, I, I think that if you can get him in the third round, that's a value pick because this guy really, I mean, he's early second round talent in my opinion. Um, you know, over his career, he's had 40 tackles for loss um, at Utah. Just this past season alone, he had 41 total tackles. His junior season, he had 47 um, sacks. I mean, this year he had 13 sacks. Seven and a half a year before that, seven his sophomore year. Uh, this guy is a guy that's going to beat offensive linemen off the ball. He's a strong guy. He's very fast, uh, very quick. Um, so I would love to have him on my defensive line uh, personally, Yeah, you know, with my team that I coach. Uh I'd love to have Bradley and May. I, I mean, I was just impressed by everything this guy showed us at um, at the Senior Bowl this season. Uh, I, I mean, you look back through his numbers. I mean, I said seven and a half sacks. That was uh, that was he led the Pac-12 in sacks his uh, his junior season. Um, you know, he, he's the kind of guy that you want on your defensive line. He's going to blow past uh, this off offensive lines in the NFL. I think that. I mean, if you can get him even late second round, that's still a value. I, I truly do think that he is early second round talent. Um, and I just don't see anyone taking him that early. Uh, Zach, I'm going to go ahead and let you go on that way. I don't just keep rambling like I am. I, I feel like I'm in a weird headspace. <laughs> so uh, go ahead, go ahead and take this one over. Good, good. In case you guys need to know, Bradley and a dominated the senior bowl. Go check out our episode on that. It was like what? 40 episodes ago. Just ridiculous. Dude, he made, uh, he made Jalen Hurst look like a punk. Uh, he made the uh, the offensive tackles that he faced look like punks. I mean, he was throwing grown men to the ground. And I like that pick. I didn't pick him because I really think a team's going to reach for him early. I really do. I have a feeling he's not going to be first round. I can see him going second round. Uh, but my first pick, he's pr- uh, the latest seven-round mock draft, mock draft I checked. He's going to the Patriots in the seventh round. And this is Antonio Gibson, uh, running back wide receiver out of Memphis. We've we've highlighted him on the podcast before, but for our newer listeners, and you know, in case you forgot over the months, uh, Gibson 
played a little bit of both running back, wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner for Memphis. And he's got blazing 4.39, 4.4 speed. He, but he also is 230 pounds, which makes him one of the more physical running backs, wide receivers that we're seeing coming out of the draft. I think if he gets to the Patriots, watch out. Holy crap. Is That would be dangerous. But I think his stock's low due to his two years in Memphis because he only really had one year of production. So scouts and GMs and everything are like, well, why didn't why don't we see four years of film like we see on some people? And I think they're a little bit skeptical to take him. And, you know, I, but personally, I think he's dynamic enough to really specialize on the on in the return game for a team early. But as his career goes along, I can see him developing as a true rep weapon and in a perfect offensive system, a slot slash receiving back. So, you know, I don't think he's an every down back. I think this guy can play every down, but just not a true tailback position. Uh, You know, for my two players, I like to do pro comparisons just to kind of give you guys an idea of where I'm standing on a player. And even though he's bigger than this guy, I think he, I think he models this guy in his game and his explosiveness and his ability as a player. And that's Darren Sproles. Uh, Darren Sproles was a later round pick too. People questioned, you know, uh, can we really draft a guy that's five nine? Well, Gibson's like six, six, about six foot, so he's bigger than Sproles and more physical. But he has the same quickness, explosiveness, ability to catch and make plays out in open space. And I think a team could use Gibson like you know various teams throughout Sproles' career, Sproles career used him. I think he'll fit in just about any system. It's just some systems he's better as a slot. Other systems he's better as a running back. Uh, So I think Gibson for a seventh-round pick, I I value him as more of a second-round pick. So I'm I'm seeing something the scouts – some scouts are not. But I think in the long run, I'm going to be proved right here. And I think Antonio Gibson is going to make some team extremely happy in this late – in between sixth, seventh round. Yeah, and you're probably right about that. I'll go ahead and continue on to my second player, uh, and it's quarterback. Everyone knows I love quarterbacks, big offense guy. You and these quarterbacks. Uh, No need to to reiterate that, but there is a quarterback I absolutely fell in love with uh, this offseason, even this past season. I mean, just just seeing him air the ball out the way he did, and that's that's Anthony Gordon. We've talked about him before on here. He had had two full seasons – or not two full seasons. He had two seasons – uh, in college that he played, he played his junior and senior, senior seasons. Um, uh, obviously, he backed up uh, Gardner Minshew at Washington State his junior season. And then this past season, we, we saw what he can do with the ball. I mean, he passed for 5,579 yards. He had a 72 completion rate at that. And, not, uh, and I mean, it, it's just, it's insane. He had 689 attempts for 493 uh, receptions this year. 48 touchdowns and that's not in the college football playoff so um you know going to the college football playoff everyone knows i love joe burrow uh joe burrow didn't have these kind of numbers he he did not have 48 touchdowns uh, and not only that but i mean 48 touchdowns i mean you talk that many touchdowns and he only had 16 interceptions i understand that's a big number but when you're throwing 48 touchdowns i think you can kind of you know you can kind of hedge that a little bit um this guy has a big arm, and honestly, I, you know, I haven't even seen him. You know, I've been looking through these mock drafts, and a lot of these drafts don't even have him going until you know fourth, fifth, sixth round. Um, and and so I think that if you can get this guy there, it is a huge, 
huge, huge value. Um, you know, is that to say he's going to be a starter right off the bat? No, uh, you know, I'm not going to get crazy here. Uh, but you want to sit behind a veteran for a, a season, two seasons, three seasons, let them learn uh, about that NFL offense that you're running, and then you stick him in there. I think that he can be a great quarterback for seasons to come. I mean, I like the pick. I, I tried not to be too redundant. I figured you were going with Anthony Gordon here. I, I like Anthony Gordon. But in case you guys didn't know this, didn't check it out on our Instagram or social media. Brandon had Anthony Gordon as his fourth-rated quarterback in this class. I mean, that's right. Uh, he, he was above Jordan Love for uh, Brandon here, so that's pretty that's pretty stout if you ask me. And like I think Jordan Anthony Love Gordon, has big hands, but that's about it. That's true. Joe Burrow did not. Uh, LSU, please <laughs> no, make that no. statue accurate. Anyway, um, I, I, I like Anthony Gordon. I think I agree with you. He's going to have to sit behind somebody. I think an interesting spot might be the Steelers. I mean, sit him behind Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I, I like yeah, I like I that. I mean, he would have. Juju Smith Schuster and James Con- James Conner, all these the Steelers are always a great a great uh franchise. So I think Steelers look later round for them. I think the Patriots will probably already get a quarterback before they get down to Anthony Gordon. I mean who I, I think this when you get to the later rounds, these quarterbacks are very open to many teams because a lot of teams are looking for backups. But I think Anthony Gordon is better than a backup, in my personal opinion. But kind of finish this segment off, my last pick, uh, also projected by CBS to be a sixth round, seventh round pick, my bad. Uh, and that's Quintez Cephas, wide receiver out of Wisconsin. Okay. I went with two wide receivers here. It just happened to be like that. But Cephas is an extremely interesting prospect to me because he has all the potential but he's not completely developed yet, which is what you look for in these later round picks. Uh, teams are questioning his character a little bit. He did have a sexual assault accusation, but was acquitted. But as we know, NFL teams take that extremely seriously. But at the same time, I mean, this guy is 202 pounds, six foot one, can go up and get balls when needed. I think he still projects as a slot wide receiver, two, three type prospect. But I think teams can use him in specialized scenarios, especially goal line scenarios. I think that all the raw tools are there for something extremely special. And something to note, Jeff Akuda projected number three pick in the draft uh, to the Lions from out of Ohio State. He called Quintez Cephas his most difficult matchup of the season. Uh, he That's big-time praise from a big-time player. Jeff Akuda played against Clemson this year. I mean, played against Michigan. I mean, they played some big teams. And for Quintess Cephas to get that type of praise from an elite player like Okuda, big-time thing. So my pro comparison for Cephas is Nelson Aguilar. I think he projects as a long-time starter in the league. Will he be a star? No, but you don't need these guys in the 6th, 7th round to become stars. Not everyone can pick up the next Tom Brady or Shannon Sharp that's going to be Hall of Famers in these late rounds. I mean, you get a Nelson Aguilar out of the 7th round, I think you have to be pleased as a franchise because you have a wide receiver spot that's filled for 10, 11 years down the down the road. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, he's going to be a great wide receiver. Both of your picks really are. Uh Here's one thing, and I don't know if you want to do this. This is just kind of off the dome, guys. Uh, Let's do it. Here's a little inside action with the with the Blue Bloods. Do you want to do the opposite of exactly what we're doing? Uh, somebody who might be taken too early in this draft that we think might might not need to be taken that early? 
Let's do it. I'm I'm all for this. I've got my player, man. Uh, do you have go anybody ahead. in mind? Yeah, go ahead. You go first. Oh my god, let's talk about it. Uh, Mecky Becton out of Louisville. Dude, have you seen these headlines that are saying his stock's rising? Here's one right here saying that the Giants are interested in him with their fourth overall pick. <laughs> if you draft this kid fourth overall, you, I mean, it would, listen, if the Giants are that committed to their brand, you got to respect it in a way. But goodness, man, you cannot draft this guy at, at fourth overall in this draft. He can't be the first O lineman off the board, right? I mean, I, I mean, he, I get I, it. He <laughs> is huge. He is fast, but can he play? I mean, yes, we, he can. We saw him play he, he can play. He can play. I'm telling he can you, man. Play. He can play, but do you think he's game ready right this second? Do you think he's fourth overall good? I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I've released my mock draft. I, I don't have one going uh, fourth overall. So uh, I'm not yeah. saying he should go. I don't. I, I have one going in the first round, but I don't have him going fourth. I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I think I think you might even have him overrated. I think I think he can be developed into something great. But if he goes to the wrong team, he might not see action. He or I, if he does see action, he's going to get bullied. I have I have him going 18th. Oh my goodness! To, to the Dolphins. We need to. Uh, you you were just hopeful for that, actually. I think no. So and I think the I, Dolphins are a team that could develop him. I really do. I, I honestly think that uh, with with uh, Coach Flores, I think that they could develop him. I mean, so he's my fourth offensive tackle off the board. So I mean, it's fourth. He's behind Andrew Thomas, uh, Tristan Wirfs, and Jedrick Willis Jr. out of Alabama. I mean, you and you and I both had him, or at least I did, in our uh, in our top five offensive tackles. Yeah. I get that, but uh, to see this guy go, I mean, I, I think I think what threw me for a loop was just the giant was just that uh, were the articles that I'm seeing. Oh, he could go fourth. Oh, he can he go at at thirteen to uh, to the 49ers? No, I don't think he should go that high. I mean, I didn't. I, I don't know. Why, why would the I don't, okay? I mean, I. I'll read up on the, I, I read, I read on this stuff. The 49ers biggest need is definitely not offensive tackle. They're not going wow, off. What? They're not, they're not going off for offense in this draft. I mean, both I'm, of the picks I have in my mock draft are going defense all the way. All right. So, so who yeah. would you go with here? Who do you think is a little bit uh, overrated here? It's, so are we Stop. doing, are, are we doing like, overrated in terms of they're going to drop or they're just going to be taken too high regardless. Someone who's someone who's going to get taken too high regardless. Ooh. Okay. So this is, this is going to be a little bit contra controversial here, especially with Brandon. Um, Don't do this to me. I I have this, I I have this guy going 16th in the draft. And I, I, the only reason I'm saying it's risky he has a lot of potential. He could easily be the best defensive player in the draft, but I also think he could be the biggest bust. And that's uh, Kalevon Chason. Kalevon Chason, yes, sir. Uh, you know, he edge player. He also could project as an outside linebacker, whatever. I mean, I think he is really, really explosive on his first step. He has great hand techniques, but he seemed to be a risky pick due to his injury history. I don't think he was the best even on – I don't think he was a top three player on LSU's defense this past year. Um, 
I think a team's going to reach for him. I mean, for me, I he's the he's the second LSU player going in the first round for me, and that's just because I think a team is going to take a risk on him because of the potential. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that he's going to go in front of Grant Delpit or Justin Jefferson or Patrick Queen, but I really, really, really think he's. I, I I don't. I'm not sold on him as a player. And another player I think is going to drop as well is T Higgins. I think he is really, really good. I'm really high on him, but from everything I'm hearing and t- the teams seem to be really high on other wide receivers. And I think T Higgins drops in this draft as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely see T Higgins dropping, which um, I don't know. A lot of people agree with a lot of people think that he is not uh, as good of a wide receiver as I think he is, as a lot of people might think he is. Um, and that's just that kind of that blindsided me, honestly. So, you know, I, so, didn't, I didn't think anyone. Go ahead. No, no. So since we're going off the dome, I have to ask you since we're talking about wide receivers in the draft. I forgot what the exact name is. Someone on the NFL Network. He didn't have Jerry Judy in his top five wide receivers. That's insane. I mean, that's that, how. I, I, how do you not have Jerry Judy in your top five? He he has CD. He's supposed he has to CD. go. <laughs> he has CD Lamb at one. Uh. T. Higgins at two, Justin Jefferson at three. He had a uh, KJ Hamler at four. I forget who's at five. I, I think it was the kid from Colorado. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he did not have Jerry Judy in his top five wide receivers. And I'm hoping I, I saw it today, but I think it was posted before. I'm hoping it's just a early April Fool's joke, but part of me feels like it's not because I feel like there's a lot of people reaching for hot takes right now and so since there's no sports. And I don't think in any world you could say that uh, Jerry Judy is not a top five wide receiver in this draft. No, dude, he's a he's he's the uh, in my opinion, I think he's the I mean, he's the best wide receiver in the draft, right? Yeah, I, in my opinion, I think he is. And I think he has the yeah. potential to be the best player in the draft. That's that's true. Yeah. I really do. And so I got to know as an LSU fan, a lot of, a lot of our listeners, you know, may or may not have seen, I mean, do you hate the pick of Chasen is my overrated player or do you, do you understand? Like, well, what's your take on it? Like, and what do you think his potential is in the NFL? Um, it, it, It's, it's tough to say. Uh, I think that he's, the kind of player that can get things done, especially that pick. Not only can he get things done on the field, he can get things done off the field. You know, he's a real locker room guy. Um, from I mean, everything I've read about him, I, I, I about think that, him. that that's personally why I think he's going to go high. Is because I think when you have a player that's boomer bust, personality and locker room presence means a lot. And I've heard the same things you have that he is just a great kid in general. Right, and so that's the kind of guy you want to have near your program. That's the kind of guy that scouts gravitate toward. Um, they they want a guy who's going to be good with the media. They want a guy who's going to be good with their teammates. I mean, you don't want a guy who's going to sit in the locker room and be reserved, not talking to anybody, not not going out, not not hyping his team up. And Clayvon Chase is the kind of guy that's going to do that. And so, um, I I don't want to totally agree with you saying that he's going too high. But do I think that he should go ahead of Grant Delphit or Patrick Queen? No, uh, talent wise, no. Um, now, um, if, we, if we take his personality into, uh, <laughs> if, if we take that into consideration, then maybe. But it's come on, it's Grant Delpit and Patrick Quinn. How how do you go above them? <laughs> you know, 
Well, it, uh, like P- Patrick, Patrick Queen, uh, based on all the mock drafts that I've seen and everything, I, a lot of people have them going very late first round or even fall into the second round. That's a value. That's a value I, pick. Yeah, I have, I have, I have them going twenty fourth right now to the Saints. Uh, please, please, someone make that happen. <laughs> oh uh, God, if, someone make if, that happen. If you guys. Uh, have not checked out the mock draft, the bluebloodspod.com first article on there. Check it out. It's just a first round mock draft. And you know, while we're talking about it, I think an underrated person who I have in my first round mock draft, and I've not found many that have him, but I think he, to me behind Del Pitt is the best safety in the draft and really and truly is might be better than Grant Del Pitt. And that's Anton Winfield jr. From Minnesota. I think yeah. I, 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 this dude is Okay, so is Grant Delpit raw talent is the best safety in the draft, but Winfield is probably the most versatile secondary prospect in the draft. I mean, he can play corner, he can play free safety, strong safety, it does not matter. I mean, he can play both sides, he can play any position in the secondary on defense, and he can step down into the box and make big hits, make tackles. And for me, uh, he's the closest thing to Minka Fitzpatrick that I've seen in a long it's since Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean physical excellent ball skills and i think he's gonna fill i have him going to the seahawks late in the first round i think he's gonna fill the gap that earl thomas has left for that team yeah i I can definitely see it you know i I think that uh i i don't want to keep saying i I agree with you but you're making a lot of good points right now zach uh hey you know what I'm, i'm gonna crowd myself here uh i literally just I'm going to crown myself the NFL expert of the Blue Bloods for right now. Until Brandon gets on his stuff and gets him a mock draft out there, I'm taking the crown. I'm taking the title. Uh, Blue Bloods NFL expert, Zach McKinnell, right here. Uh, yeah, it's, So, so <laughs> we're going to go ahead, move on to our final segment. It's going to be a little off topic, but we're going to, we're going to make it work for you guys. And we named this segment March Sadness. And, you know, we decided that we're going to cover one of the biggest just college sports stories. And I, I don't know about you, Brandon, recent memory for me. Uh, and HBO released their documentary highlighting the famous NCAA basketball, Adidas, etc. scandal from the 2007-2018 you know, year this week. And in case you have not heard about this case, agents, consultants from mainly Adidas were paying college assistant coaches and head coaches cash to steer big time players to their agency brand once they turn pro. This either made the coaches a lot of money and or was given to big time recruits to come to their program. Uh, multiple people been arrested all across the country. The FBI did a big investigation, got way involved. If the FBI is involved, got to be somewhat serious. Uh, big names across the country were caught up in this and HBO's documentary made headlines this week due to the wiretap recordings of LSU head coach Will Wade talking to agent Chris Dawkins about how he can offer a recruit more money than the NBA league minimum or the G League can and complains that of recruit Javante Smart who is now an LSU player would not accept a good offer because it leaned too much toward his family and that he was tired of his blank I, we, we're, we're a clean podcast, can't say it, and that he's made simpler deals for lesser talented players. Brandon, 
how bad of a look is this for LSU instead of play basketball? What what do you make of this whole scandal? What's going on right now? And why do you think this could have far-reaching effects into football? And why have we not seen a scandal like this hit college football outside of maybe you know SMU paying players? Uh, well, if you want my initial thoughts on this, uh, what I would say it is, I would say it's overblown. Um, and if you want to know my true thoughts, go ahead and visit uh, com, where I agree a million percent with everybody on there. Um, I've, I've called this place uh, the the depths the depths of humanity, um, the place where dreams go to die, uh, things like that. Um, and so after I'm done uh, speaking my mind on this issue, I'm going to take a moment and read to you a few of the responses to uh, what was shown on HBO uh, on on Tuesday night. Uh, but first, dude, come on. I mean, this was investigated over a year ago. Uh, he was found not guilty. I mean, it, it's just it's, it's one of those things. You know, they, they didn't find enough evidence to to indict him on anything. Um, and, and, and what I texted you earlier um, and, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into this. Obviously, I don't know all the details. Uh, I did watch it. You know, it was it was very interesting. I wanted to hear it uncensored uh, because I we did hear it censored, uh, you know, about a year and a month ago, about 13 months ago on ESPN, on SportsCenter. They played these recordings. So this is one of those things where I think that uh, due to the outbreak of this virus, due to the fact that we don't have any sports, this is what sports fans are leaning on. This is what they want to shift their focus to. Um, is this investigation again? I mean, the investigation's over. You know, they played this recording a year ago, and we didn't make this big deal about it then. Why is it coming back up now? I get this HBO special; they re-highlighted it, but why is it coming back stronger than before? Um, do I think it's a problem? Yeah, obviously, I think it's a problem. Um, I don't think that coaches should be swaying anybody to go anywhere. I think it's a violation um, if they're found guilty. Uh, did the recording sound? damning yes it did it's it sounded pretty bad um how he wasn't indicted don't know not my job to indict him not my job to uh, to prosecute him uh it's my job to talk about it so here i am um how do i think it's going to impact college football i think that college football is going to try their best to steer clear of anything to do with this type of uh type of ordeal which i don't think is a big deal anyway i mean what kind of athletes do we see going to the NFL that are signing these shoe deals? Not a lot. I mean, I mean, we have some, obviously. But what what football player's signature shoe do you have, Zach? I Not mean, I own – I mean, I was to say, I have Jordans. Um, I've had LeBrons. I've had uh, Hardens. You know, I've had all these shoes. I've had all these sneakers. I haven't had a single football player's sneaker ever, I don't think. I didn't even have the Bo Jacksons. Um but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, especially not the exact case. You know, there may be a scandal in the future in college football about uh, about players being paid, you know, like SMU was. Um, but with these new NCAA uh, regulations where players can be paid for their likenesses, uh, not necessarily by the institution itself, but, uh, you know, by, by uh, I guess, I guess, uh, other entities, um, it's going to be a lot harder to prosecute uh, these players now. So I don't think the college football has a lot to worry about uh, regarding this anyway. 
No, definitely not. And I mean, I guess to start out with this in specific scandal, I think I think it might be overlooked on what I mean. Yes, some people might have heard the recording. The recording HBO released. They said that is in full, and the one that has been released wasn't the exact one. And this is like the true one. This is the final one. And I think I, I really think the NCAA at this point to make it go away is going to come down harsh on some programs, man. I mean, what, like, yes, there's been some programs who have already had some stuff. I know Auburn set two players just to head off the instead of belay. I know Kansas did the same thing. I know Arizona did pretty much the same thing and let some players go, but, uh, I, I know LSU, uh, I mean, outside of Shaquille O'Neal, Brandon, I mean, and Pistol Pete, I mean, LSU hasn't been really a powerhouse basketball program. But I think this NCAA is going to try ben to make an Simmons, example. Tremont Waters. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're not winning natties or getting to the tournament. I mean, Ben Simmons didn't even make the tournament. Uh, whatever. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, yeah, he made the second round? No, it was it, he made he – made, uh, I, th- I thought it was the Sweet 16 last year. Okay, that's right. Yeah, he did. He did. Okay. Ben Simmons didn't make the tournament. But, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal had you guys, like, set. Pistol Pete, probably one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. That's this is that's another podcast. Anyway, um, I, th- I think the way that he was talking, though, about, like, when they caught him on tape, talking about a player that currently plays for LSU. I, I smarts off to the NBA this year, I believe. Right, Brandon? He declared. Yeah, he was a senior. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so he's off to the draft. Um, but the fact they got their coach on tape talking about a player and how he was frustrated with him that he wouldn't accept the offer he gave him and that, you know, crappier players, you know, were easier to work with and, you know, et cetera. I think that's a horrible, horrible look moving forward for, you know, Will Wade. I, I mean, how do you go into players' houses and look their parents in the eye and they they're like, well, what are you saying behind our backs now? I mean, right. and they they literally have him on tape saying that like he paid Javante Smart, he paid other players. Well, who are those other players? That's going to come out eventually. The FBI, the FBI knows. The NCAA knows. And uh, you know, the NCAA has not announced punishments for programs called up in this yet. And they already said programs who did not self-impose penalties are going to get stiffer penalties, and those involved the most are going to get the worst. And the ones that I've been reading are involved in the most now are Arizona, Kansas, and LSU. Those are the three programs that did the least amount after they got caught up in this and have had the most involved in this. I mean, you saw a player from Kansas who got caught up in this who, as soon as he got a chance to come back, almost hit a kid in the head with a stool in a in a brawl you i mean lsu didn't sit anybody will wade shows no remorse for this arizona's coach pretty much went as far as saying that like it's stupid i mean arizona's coach probably handled this the worst i mean I, i'm not coming for him but like arizona's coach handled this worse than like i think anyone in the world could have ha- you know and the argument that I'm hearing from a lot of you know lsu people and just people in general about the scandal is that the NCAA got what they deserve because they're taking advantage of kids even worse. And I want to address that because that's not true. One, I think what makes the scandal so bad is not paying the players. I don't think that's what the problem is. 
The problem is that these agents and agency and people who work for these agencies like Adidas are almost scamming or trying to bribe people to join prematurely or lock these kids into a contract that they can't get back out of. And the, the kids can't get out of it because if they don't do it, then if this isn't blown up, they get caught. You don't think it, that Adidas person is going to go straight to the NCAA and report that kid? I think the fact yeah. that the, they were bribing kids to do something almost against their will is really, really it's down deep is what the problem with this is. This isn't just coaches or assistants paying players to come to their program. It's, hey, come to our program and you have to sign with Adidas in two, three years. You have to sign with Agent X over there. I think that's that's where it got out of hand, and that's why the FBI and all these outside entities had to get involved. Yeah. Uh, man, <laughs> I don't know. This is it, – it's definitely a, a bad situation. Uh, and, I, you know, you mentioned that Will Wade shows no remorse. I don't know about that. You know, he did come out and say that – uh He's going to forfeit that $250,000 performance bonus he got from last season. Um, and also, he came out and mentioned that he that he agreed not to sue the university if he's fired uh, with cause over this, if he's found guilty. So I think there is some remorse there. You know, I think that if there was no remorse, he wouldn't have forfeited that money, and he probably wouldn't have come out and said that uh, he wasn't going to sue the university if he was fired, which – you know, in in the in the coming days, weeks, months, we'll we'll see how that is handled. Yeah, um, uh, it's a bad optics but, look, though. That that this is like, it, it it's not a bad optics look that it was released. It's a bad look that it was released at the time it did, because there is literally nothing else to focus on for the NCAA. Right. Uh, so let's go ahead and dig deep into the depths of uh, Tiger Droppings, everybody's favorite place in the world. Uh, I feel like this should this this might as well be its own. Uh, segment <laughs> because this is this is about to get wild. Um, so let's go ahead and read uh, read some of these uh, comments, some of these uh, topics here. Um, this first topic it just reads: In case anyone missed the Will Wade audio last night, it was posted today, it was posted this morning. He drops a link to the uh, to the audio and then says, "Really, nothing we didn't already know." I really don't think the whole theme or mood of the uh, of the film was to criticize NCAA coaches as much as the NCAA itself. Uh, the last part of the film featured Dawkins talking about how he looked at coaches who paid players as good people and ones who uh, did not as not good people. I don't know because I watched it and that's not really how it seemed to me. Zach, did you watch this last night? I didn't watch the whole thing. I've, I've watched like bits and pieces of it, but I've not seen the entirety of like the show they air Tuesday. Yeah. And then in response to that, someone says to me, the documentary perspective was to show how incompetent the FBI was. In this that, that's a bold, that's a bold claim, bro. Zach, that's not the only time someone says that uh, later on, on a different topic, someone says, how embarrassed should the FBI be? If any of the scheme is accurate. Um, I don't, there's a lot of deflection going on on Tiger Droppings today. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's either that or like how does Will Wade not get fired and then a thousand downvotes on that and then people saying uh, he won't be fired. You know, we, we love Will Wade. He won't be fired. So you got you to gotta love the LSU fans on this forum. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful. Um, 
I don't know. It's just some of these are really funny. Uh, they got three convictions in connection with this case. FBI doesn't care about the NCAA's amateurism bylaws. That's not their concern. And it was not within their scope. And then this guy replies to that and says, oh, so you're okay with the money they stole. Uh, this basically creates the con and then charges people that went along with them. It, it's just, to me, there's a lot of deflecting, uh, a lot of beating around the bush, and a lot of, oh, LSU can't be at fault here. Will Wade is an angel. And and everyone keeps calling him a gangsta because I, I think – I think it's uh, because uh, uh, Rothstein calls him American gangster after every single time that he wins a game. So I, I don't, I don't really understand Tiger Drop because I never have. Zach, you know that. Um, I actually don't know that anyone could ever understand Tiger Droppings, but uh, this has been my report from TigerDroppings.com. Yeah, so we're gonna move more toward like football here. So there was an interesting point, like brought up about why. You know, how was football going to be caught up in this? How is this going to change uh, football? And the reason that Joel Klatt from Fox Sports gave is that in football, there would have to be so much money involved because one player can't win you a national championship. He said this became so big in college basketball because the price of the, he said goods. I don't like that word because goods means players here. And because like, the demand for a, pl- a good player is so much higher in college basketball than it is football because in football, you got 22 people out there on the field. And with the rotations, there's probably close to 36 ish players that rotate in and out of a game and that make a big impact. Uh, you know, if Joe Burrow doesn't have Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, the best offensive line in the country, Joe Burrow isn't winning the Heisman or winning the national championship. But in basketball, when there's only five players out there, one good player can really change the trajectory of that team. I mean, you put look at let's just say NBA. You put LeBron James on any team, that team's going to the finals or at least the the conference finals. In college yeah, basketball, yeah, just look at the Lakers last year. Okay, fair enough. But to be fair, like th- that was a different story. But I mean, in college basketball, you see it's a star-driven league, and there's more money to go around. And having a big, a better player at an important position in basketball means more than football. And that was their argument: is that the way basketball set up, especially college basketball, with the ones and dones, is you got one year to get it right. It's not like football where you at least get three years to develop these players. You need a good player immediately to get you to the national championship. So competing for these high-level players for one to two years is much more important, which drove this, this uh, I guess, scandal in college basketball, and that's why we'll never see one in college football. Your thoughts? Um, I don't know. And I'm just going to reiterate with what I said earlier. I don't know that we could see anything with this capacity in college football. Um. You know, uh, unless it's just, I don't know, it's tough. Uh, I think this is kind of a really unique situation um, in that it is unique to basketball because basketball is this type of, uh, like you said, like one man can really lead the charge in college basketball, even in in professional basketball. So uh, I think it would be very difficult to see the same type of thing uh, happen in college football. Yeah, I mean, I think that was his point. Like, I, it'd be really hard to have this happen in college football because of the large amounts of recruits and different thing, different factors that would play in. I mean, uh, for me, 
I think the talent gap when you have a top recruit in basketball is a way bigger than football. I mean, what, there's 32 five-star recruits in football every year is what 247 aims right. for. But there's really probably hundreds of recruits that make a significant impact movie is somewhere within their three to four years at that program basketball not the case i mean if you have a player that's immediately impactful he's not staying for more than two years unless a significant injury comes and then you don't even get that benefit you know moving forward in in that season so I, i get the point i never would imagine this would happen in college football i think paying the players though that would pop up again it's due it's really really due in my opinion, I think it's coming. The NCAA is bored, guys. The NCAA is headhunting out there for something to do with no sports. I mean, I think this scandal is really, really unique, and I don't think we'll ever see a scandal like this ever again in sports in general. I think once the FBI gets involved, it gets outrageous, in my opinion. And the fact that it oh, got sure. so the fact that it got so serious that the FBI had to take time to step in and investigate, and there were companies and people taking advantage of all kind of kids and and just putting them in situations that they couldn't succeed in i mean there's countless players that lost playing time and college careers and all all just their pride and their trustworthiness and i I really think it negatively affected a lot of people around you know college sports and i hate that but we're gonna we're sorry to end up on like a sober uh somber note but uh that's the end of this episode we gave y'all an extended episode man over an hour of content to last y'all till monday we back monday with more college football content maybe some just random sports content like we gave you today um but check us out on social media at the underscore blue bloods on instagram at the underscore underscore blue bloods on twitter at the Blue Bloods Pod on Facebook. YouTube is up. Check out the Blue Bloods. All our most recent episodes, interviews are up. This episode will be up on YouTube. Uh, so if you can't find us on streaming platforms, go check us out on YouTube. We got full episodes there for you guys. Uh, Blue Blood, the Blue Bloods Pod.com. All the links to everywhere we're available is on there. Uh, articles, mock draft. Check it all out. We'll be bringing you guys more of that very, very soon. But um, keep listening, subscribing, rate the podcast wherever y'all can. Keep listening. We'll keep coming out with content. But for right now, we out.
only black. I know, bro. My voice is not working. 